Good morning, everybody. Nice to see you again for this, our last of our Clear Christianity stream. Um, so just to give you a quick recap again for those that are joining you for the first time this morning. So we've been looking over this week at the Reformation, um, which, um, so we've got the cross of Christ, Jesus dying on the cross in 30 AD. The Reformation starts in 1517. So as you can see, the Reformation is much closer to us than it is to um, Jesus dying on the cross, but it's still culturally quite different from where we're at today. So we've talked about how the Reformation was basically, I'll come back to that in a minute, basically about things being added on to the gospel. So rather than um, just having faith alone, you have the idea that we need to do things to earn our salvation. Rather than it being just through Christ alone, we find out that actually people are praying to saints and other, um, and to saints as well as Christ. And, and they, you know, they still believe that grace came from the cross, but also that you had to add to that by doing other things. Scripture alone, they, didn't, they, they believed in Scripture, but they also added other things onto that. So they would look at um, papal um, balls and things like that, um, things that the Pope had written, and that was added on to Scripture. Um, so this morning, we're going to be looking um, to, at to the glory of God alone. So what we have in the Reformation then in 1517 is um, in the, the church in the West, we've got one church going right the way through to 1517. And what we have with Martin Luther and the other reformists is a new type of church coming about. So the Protestant church, and then we have the Catholic church. So most of us here at this campsite would probably say that we were from a Protestant background, whether we know that particularly or not. Um, so we've got this new church coming f- um, through with the reformers. So in a minute, I'm going to hand over to Tim who is my husband. If you were here on the first day, you would have met him already. If you weren't here on the first day, um, we're from Brighton, um, and he heads up the preaching and research department at the church there and the internship there. Um, So he's very well placed to tell you about this. But also, we want to tell you as well about a book. Um, It's called Rooted. And what we have here with us this week is the chapter on the Reformation. This is written by a good friend of ours, Edward Rhodes, um, and the book's going to be coming to print soon. But what we've got for you is a special preview chapter, and these are completely free. So if at the end you want to grab a copy of Rooted, they're just here at the front. We'd love you to take that away with you and have a read. Um, And I think that's all I need to say, so I'm going to hand over to Tim. Great. Well... Here we are at the last day. Uh, it's been great having you with us over these, these number of days if you've been to the other seminars too. And um, I've got the privilege of speaking to you today about salvation being to the glory of God alone. Um, I'm going to take a little bit of a left turn on this as well and launch into another of Luther's uh, doctrines that's related to it. So as Charlie said, the Reformation was about clearing the decks in Christianity and each one of these, each one of these alones, people have wondered why there's five alones because that's not really alone, is it? Um, what what's being said is that it's not Christ and us, and it's not God's glory and our glory that's being that's being shown in salvation. When it's uh, God's glory alone, it means that by of necessity, it's not our glory that is exhibited in salvation. And solideo gloria means to God's glory alone. But I want to call this session Our Work and God's Glory because it does leave a question hanging. If, if salvation is to God's glory alone, which it is, then what's the point of our work? 
I think that's come out in a few of the things that we've said. We've talked about faith alone, so faith and works. So we can see that our work doesn't justify us with God, doesn't make us right with God, but nevertheless we're given work to do in the world, and God calls people to do different things. That might have been something that you've been thinking about through a, through a week of worship here. No doubt God's been speaking to several of you about how you might uh, work in your life, how that's going to go on and courses that you're going to take, directions that your life's going to take. How does that relate to God's working? And um, I just want to share some scriptures first so we can talk about the first thing, which is God's work, God's glory, and then I'm going to speak at greater length about our work, because I think that we've covered the God's glory alone, God being the only agent in our salvation. Uh, We've covered that substantially in the last few days. So this is a major, major verse that I think gets to the the very heart of the biblical doctrine of salvation being to the glory of God alone. It says here in Ephesians 2 verses 8 to 9, it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. I don't think that could be much clearer. It's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. Why? It's not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's so that none of us can have the glory for our salvation. None of us can say, well, you know, I was going the wrong way, but then I I just pulled my socks up, I, I smartened my ideas up, and I thought... God needs serving. You know, it's, it's, there's literally zero glory to us because it's a gift of God. And I think that a lot of the other truths that were reclaimed in the Reformation under those headings of the five solas uh, that we've been going through has have hammered that home, really. This is something that God has done. This is something that we are, we are in the benefit of, but we're not in the glory of. We're not the ones who, who, who take the credit for our salvation. He takes the credit and we get the blessing. This is what I want to talk about. This is the left turn into what Luther termed vocaccio, which sounds like a nice bread, but it's not. Vocaccio is a, um, a way of speaking about calling. You can see there that it's uh, very similar to our English word vocation, your vocation, your job. Um, well, that actually comes, the word itself comes from the word for calling. It's the Latin word for calling. And... Um, what we're going to do is just look at this related topic of our work, because this is something that Luther did. He developed this doctrine, this teaching from the scriptures, but he didn't do it just as a, an academic exercise because he thought, oh, it'd be nice to talk about calling. He actually did it in response to um, another distortion that had happened in the Christian faith in the medieval church. And that was, if you cast your mind back to what Glenn was saying, um, there there was this idea that you could do a certain amount of works to warrant God giving you grace. So it's, it's not by grace alone. It was by grace. Salvation was understood to be by grace. But that grace kind of had to be warranted, not earned, but you, had to, you could put yourself in a better position to get a shot of grace from God. Um, and one of the ways that you could do that is by receiving holy orders, by receiving a holy calling to be a monk or a nun, or something like that. Um, and really, I think that that was what Luther was hoping to do in some ways when he became a monk as well. We talked about the story where he, d- he avoided the lightning, cried out to St. Anne, and um, dedicated himself to becoming a monk and went to it with uh, real zeal. Um, part of what he would be doing is trying to put himself in a better place for receiving that grace that allows you to be in a state of grace when you die so that you you're achieve a better purgatory. And so, 
having having gone through all of all that he went through, all that we've spoken of in his biography, where he uh, got back to the scriptures, started seeing wow, the, like truths like that one here. That it's by grace you've been saved. It's the free gift. It's through faith. It's by you trusting in what God's done. It's not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so no one may boast. In this, you have pretty much all of those solas. I hope you can see that. You've got gift, grace, faith taking hold of it. No one boasting. That's the, that's the glory of God alone part. Um, so this really reconfigured his idea of what calling meant. What, what calling meant? Because previously, the only called people were you know, ministers, uh, and, you know, specifically monastic ministers, those who had devoted themselves to the contemplative life, just praying all the time, um, devoting their whole, all of their waking hours to the service of God. Obviously, he's gone through this whole process, and he starts to think to himself that actually, actually God's call is wider than that, and God calls everyone. And he calls people to, to the specific places in life that they end up. And he gets that from uh, these verses. I've quoted out a couple of them. 1 Corinthians 7, 17, and 20. So those, those two verses together, but especially 20. Uh, Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians there, only let, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. Okay, that's quite interesting, isn't it? We're quite used to chopping and changing jobs. I mean, a lot of you won't be in, in the, the working world at the moment, but you, you've got to consider how different this is between Luther's day and ours and actually between a few generations ago and ours because your parents or your grandparents would have gone into the working world with the concept of staying in the same place, effectively. Once they had decided, I'm going to be an accountant, I'm going to be a teacher or whatever, they would pursue that and they would pursue a particular path and stick to it. Um, and you might feel that that's a good idea, or you might feel that that's a bad idea. That's something for you to discuss in a minute, right? But that's definitely the way things were a couple of generations ago. In Luther's day, that was even more extreme. It's almost like what your parents did is what you were going to be doing. A lot, a lot of um, surnames that we still have now, Taylor, Baker, you know, th- those, those sort of surnames that are just literally a job, um, would be because it was a family trade, you know, you're Smith. You're Smith. You're going to be a blacksmith. You're going to be making things out of metal, and your dad did that, and you're going to do that, and it's it's going to get passed down. Now, so for Luther, when he's reading something like this, let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. He's kind of got those ideas working in mind as well, and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches, says Paul. Now, in verse 20, and this is the big one for Luther, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. And I've put in some nice Greek text for you there as well. So, because the word translated condition here is actually calling. So, each one should remain in the calling, which is, what's that? Uh, Klesai and then Klesi. They're both related words. So, should remain in the calling in which he was called. Okay. So Luther takes this and runs with it. He, he understands calling and work and job all to be kind of the same thing he, because they are the same thing for him. And he says, he develops this whole doctrine of the calling um, to whichever role you're in. There's, so, yeah, actually, let's have a discussion before I tell you anything more about that. I'll give you a little bit more information on the things that he says. But let's do this. 
What counts as a calling? And do you have one? How can you tell? Okay, so I just thought I'd start with a few shallow questions for you there. Um, But give this five minutes, take it seriously, and maybe the answer's no, but I'd love to hear... Uh, I'd love to hear how, especially you sift whether you've got a calling. How, what are the means? And they don't have to all be holy means. They're, they're, there might be different ways that you detect. Um, I'd, let me not give too much away. Just get, get in twos and threes now. Discuss this. What counts as a calling? Do you have one? How can you tell? Or what are the means of telling? Okay. Okay, great. Um, sounds like you're having some good conversations there. Um, can I call on a few people? Can I call on a few people? Hey, you see what I did there? Um, so, awful. Um, some, some people willing to share some ideas on the mic about, um, about what counts as a calling? Uh, where, where, you know, you might want to be really strict. You might say, actually, no, the medievals were right. Monk, nun, that's a calling. Everything else, no. Um, or you might want to go along with what Luther says. You might want to uh, speak about being called to specific careers. Um, please, someone come up and speak. Okay, yeah, we said that it's using your natural skills and talents um, in like what you were born with, that would be like what your calling is. Ah, oh, very good. So, and actually, that's a part of being able to tell as well. So, innate skills, things that you're good at, that tells you almost that acts as a calling in itself. Oh, I'm good at this. Maybe I should pursue it. Good. I think uh, one of the difficulties we have in our context, looking at calling, is our society and what we are taught to believe makes a big deal of free will that we can determine ourselves. And actually, Scripture doesn't have much to say on that. Uh, I would say Scripture's fairly anti-free will, but there you go. Strong, strong. <laughs> that's good. So, so actually, and that's more in harmony with the sort of thing that Luther's saying here. He's saying, um, you know, what, what counts as a call... The, the sort of thing that counts as a calling is the sort of thing that you've been assigned in life, as, the, as that Scripture says, you know, the, the position that you've been assigned. Um, that's weird to us because it's not very aspirational. It's not very like break out of what, you know, the small town you're in and be a big noise and uh, seek fame and seek a, seek a position and seek some sort of profile. It's quite, quite antithetical to the culture that we're in. And there might be some good things about what Luther says and there might be some bad things. Um, he certainly is not saying pursue your, pursue your talents and pursue your gifts, but we really do prize that and we take that quite seriously. In fact, you're right to bring that out. That's one of the main uh, barometers, if you like, of what, what you should be doing in life. You just look and see what you're good at. And we're in a privileged position to be able to pick and choose. Anyone want to say anything else on it? No? It's okay. You, ha- you have a further chance to talk later. So let me just talk about people who lived in the, in the wake of this. Um, J.S. Bach, Johann Sebastian Bach, lived um, 150 years or so after Luther, but he lived in the same area. And he actually, he, he lived after the, the Reformation had matured, if you like. There's, there's, um, he lived in the wake of this revolution that Luther had effected. 
and he took really seriously this doctrine of things being of the, your work being to the glory of God alone, not just your salvation, but actually the things that you were as a person being to God's glory alone. He says this, he says, the aim and final end of all music should be none other than the glory of God and the refreshment of the soul. Here's a guy who's, like, who's doing his work, and a lot of his work was making church music, but he, but he made other music as well. He made music which he was considering to be to the glory of God and for the refreshment of the soul. He actually connected in his mind the work he was doing and the glory of God. And uh, he, he, he lived in the shadow of one of the places that Luther lived, in fact. You know, he, he, he was very conscious of the way this teaching and this return to Scripture had changed the world, and especially with regards to how um, work works out. Here is a manuscript of, uh, uh, of Bach's, and you can see here he's put the letters SDG over the top. Any, any prizes there for, for guessing? Solid Deo Gloria. So he'd often sign his manuscripts, uh, JSB, his own initials, SDG. This work is Solid Deo Gloria. You might want to do that with your essays after this. You know? Yes, uh, <laughs> confuse your lecturers. <laughs> but there's fairly serious things that go along with that, aren't there? You know, if you write an essay and then you write, if I wrote TPJ, SDG, <laughs> I'm going to make sure that that is a good essay because effectively I'm saying something about God by ascribing the glory to God for it. You might want to talk about that in a minute when we come to discuss. Now, I want to chuck in some Martin Luther quotes because the guy is hilarious. Um, th- there's something that I realize we've missed out quite a lot in this stream is we've qu- quoted a lot of his famous sayings, but if you, if you look into his, his other works, his commentary on Galatians, which is well worth reading. His commentary on Galatians, he basically turns it into an autobiography rather than a commentary. So if you've, if you've ever read a Bible commentary and thought, oh, these are a bit dry, read his commentary on Galatians because he's basically, he's basically, I don't know if it's a great commentary on the text, but because he's so in love with what it's done to his life. He just keeps saying, oh, what happened to Paul? That's not what happened to me with the Pope. And then he goes into it again and starts talking about his own story. Um, just to recommend to you, LibriVox. Anyone aware of that? No? So there's, there's an app on your phone and there's also, also a website, LibriVox. It's basically free recordings, uh, audiobook recordings of old texts that have gone out of copyright. And I listened to the whole of his Galatians commentary on, I was on my way to a conference somewhere. It's got loads of other stuff as well, LibriVox, worth a look. And, um, and the Luther commentary is great, especially when you hear it read. Um, he says this about music, so still on the vocation of music, which I've just picked out because of the bark thing. He says the devil should not be allowed to keep all the best tunes for himself. Ah, so if you're wondering where that com- comment came from, that quote, it's Martin Luther. He says this, I have no use for cranks who despise music. Because it's a gift of God. It's worth saying that Ulrich Zwingli, uh, another reformer in the Swiss, Swiss Reformation at the same time, did actually say, uh, basically, he, he banned all music from his chapel because he was saying, look, this is getting in the way. He, he was part of the more radical end of the Reformation where they were clearing the decks and they'd, they'd swung the pendulum a bit further than Luther. And there's a story of Zwingli actually taking the axe to the pipe organ in his, in his uh, church, which is a bit extreme. You know, he, obviously, the pendulum has to go there to come back. Um, but Luther was a musician, and he, he loved playing the, 
lute, I think it was, you know, the guitar of his, his time. And he says, I have no use for cranks who despise music because it's a gift of God. Next after theology, I give to music the highest place and the greatest honor. So he's there very keenly saying that music is for the glory of God as well. Um, in Ephesians 2.10, this is the next verse after the one that we quoted about uh, salvation being to the glory of God alone. It says here, Something about what we're created for. So salvation, us being redeemed, but creation, us being, us being created, needs to be paid attention to in this regard of glory of God. It says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we're not just created just to be saved and just to be redeemed. There's actually a purpose to your life and a purpose to humanity, which came before, in, in terms of our understanding, salvation that we were created for good works in Christ Jesus, so it's all a plan that's in Christ, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That there's actually works for us to do that bring glory to God. There are things that we can do in, in his providential plan, and providence means God providing for all, of salva- or all salvation needs, but all creation needs as well. It's actually that God works all things together for the good of those who love him, but he actually works all things together in general. He, 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 work, he causes people to provide for each other. And Luther, um, Luther says this as well. He, he thinks about people's professions when he's preaching. He says, when I preach, I regard neither doctors nor magistrates, so, so like civil judges, of whom I have above 40 in my congregation. So he's got lots of bigwigs who he's preaching to. I have all my eyes on the servant maids and on the children. And if the learned men aren't well pleased with what they hear, well, the doors open. There you go. I told you it's hilarious. It's, it's definitely worth reading. He says this about vocation, and this is where I want to set you up for another discussion, and this one might be a little bit more taxing. God is milking the cows through the vocation of the milkmaid. Go with me here. He says the milkmaid has been called to what she does, and her position in life and her job, as much as the monk or the nun or anyone else has been called. And he's, ha- he's stating this against people who say, you're denigrating holy office and you're saying that all people are on the same level, which sounds alarmingly like the New Testament, which says you're a priesthood of believers, you're all priests. There's not priests, there's, not, there's, there's a great high priest who's Jesus, but we're a brotherhood and sisterhood of priests. We're before God immediately. We don't have, have that mediator because Christ is our mediator and Christ is God. Follow that through. He's saying, look, the Christian milkmaid, she's as called as the nun or the monk or me. You know, she's, she has a calling and she's doing what she does as worship to the living God. But he goes even further. And this, I'd like you to think about whether you think this is true. He says, God is milking the cows through the vocation of the milkmaid. Okay, he's, he's saying like God's created this tapestry of our work and he's doing something amazingly complex through it. He says this as well, God gives the wool but not without our labor. So you don't get a jumper automatically. If it is on the sheep, it makes no garment. Okay, so he's saying that actually, yeah, I can see some frowns. That's good. Hold that frown. That's going to be useful to you as you come to discuss. Um, I'd like you to discuss, are there dangers in Luther's idea of Christian calling? What are they and why? So 
check check with each other first that you understand what's going on that he's that he's redressing a balance he's saying everyone's called to the jobs they're doing and he's saying that god is working through each one on the job they're doing and just just discuss this question are there dangers in luther's idea of christian calling what are they and why and then we'll give five minutes to that and then do a little bit of feedback okay okay great good um has, has anyone managed to highlight uh, any, any kind of dangers that they might see in this um, Dr. Luther's? Yeah, come up, Joe. Come up. Um, yeah, me and Steph were talking, and we thought we mostly agree with it. Um, but it, the only danger is probably the difference between an immediate calling and then a kind of long-term calling for the future and you can kind of get um, so fixed on the future that you forget where you are right now and that God has a purpose for you in the present and he needs you to be present he needs you to be aware of the future calling so that you're kind of watching out for it but uh, if you're so fixed on the future you just totally you're useless in the present brilliant thank you thanks very much Good. Any any other things that people highlighted? Yeah, please. Yeah, you you, want, you 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 come along and then Juliet can be next. Um, we were saying that there's a danger of playing our part up and limiting what God can do, thinking if we don't manage to accomplish something that that stops God being able to do it, and that He can work through more than just one person or in more than one way. Okay, and how do you think that would manifest? How do you, how do you think that would come about? Is it, can you think of an actual scenario where that would happen? Um, well, I was thinking about I've just left uni and I've left a group of girls I'm living with who none of them have come to know Jesus and you kind of think, ah, it's not, it's not happened when I've been speaking to them and showing them of God's love. Uh, but it doesn't mean that they'll never know Christ. It just means that maybe it wasn't while I was living with them. Okay, thanks very much. <laughs> very good. Um, I think it, all, it can kind of sound like Luther's saying that God needs us in a sense, and I think that can be dangerous because in reality, God in and of himself is complete, and he is all-powerful, and so in that sense, he doesn't need us to do these works for him. But I think there is truth in the sense that he um, does use his children for the advancement of the kingdom, and I think we just have to make that distinction that he is working through us, and we're not working kind of out of our own strength but through his strength oh, thanks very much yeah that's very good and um I, I, I mean luther luther is very careful that we don't get any glory in this like don't, don't get me wrong he's he's uh he's he, he sees us as being agents but then maybe he almost sees us as being agents to an alarming extent he sees uh sees god as doing the work as um so god is doing the milking through the milkmaid um, did anyone did anyone comment on what then happens if you do a bad job of milking? No, yeah? did anyone? Oh, you, you talked about that. Good. I, I mean, that's that's definitely a concern. If I think what we want to say about this, and this this is you know here's the textbook answer. Uh, I think what what Joel brought is right that actually largely this is a good thing. This is, a, this is a major innovation. And the reason I'm sharing this with you today is because this is probably one of the biggest contributions to society in general that the Reformation made. 
I think it made significant contributions to the church in terms of clearing the decks of bad doctrine. But in terms of causing the flourishing of society, um, Max Weber wrote a book in 1905, uh, published, not a Christian guy by any stretch, he wrote a book called uh, The Protestant Work Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism. Um, and some of you might have come across it in other spheres when you're doing sociology or history, those, those sort of things. But he just points to the significant innovation in the, in the Reformation of giving everyone the dignity of their work and pointing to that. Now, you can, you can take this too far, but generally it's a good thing. Giving people the dignity of their work and the fact that God cares about them as an ambulance driver or as a... Uh, as a teacher or what, whatever they are and actually that you can do that as worship and you can do it to the glory of God that's a huge huge revolution where it gets excessive is actually um, the fact simply the fact that Luther is situated in that particular place in time where he is talking to people for whom occupation and calling mean the same thing or your current position and your future calling are the same thing in his thinking I love the fact that uh, Joel brought out for us the, the idea of a future calling and a current position, and actually how for us, our eyes might be on the future calling and the big dream, if you like, the final realization, and we're, we're currently doing the menial job to get there. And he, his corrective was to say, we should be caring about doing the current job to the glory of God and keeping an eye on the future. He has those two categories, but Luther didn't really. That's the, that's the thing with Luther's doctrine of vocation. He didn't have this idea that there's a future calling and a current calling. He's saying that calling and your, jo- and your current job at McDonald's, they are the same thing. That, like, and, and you pursue them with, with zeal, seeing them as to the glory of God. Problems then that I'm, I'm thinking come out of that, and maybe I know a little bit more about it than you so I can comment on these different dangers, but what happens then with the idea of changing jobs? Or if you're, if you're in like an exploitative job or something like that, well, actually this doctrine or Luther's version of it doesn't help you much with that. You just have to you, you plow on to the glory of God because that is your calling. You don't have a future and present one. Um, so protesting exploitation, weirdly enough, it doesn't leave much space for reform. And he's all about the Reformation. But the doctrine of vocatio, as Luther had it, doesn't leave much space for reform. But what I want to do um, in the time that we have left is talk about this guy, Abraham Kuyper, who um, is uh, in the same Reformation stream. But you can see he lived a lot later on, 1837 to 1920. And um, he's, he's what you would call a Calvinist. He, he was a minister in the Netherlands and... He was building on these ideas, but several centuries later. So you can see how, how these ideas worked out at the beginning of the 20th century, but also how they're being worked out now. This helps bring us up to date with thinking about vocation and how we approach calling and how we do all of our work to the glory of God. Um, a lot of people will go to Calvin to present a modifier on Luther. Calvin was living 25 years, so about 25 years after uh, younger, and he he was writing uh, more as a systemizer than a revolutionary. So Calvin came along and systemized what Luther had done. Kuyper's living well after all of that stuff has happened, and he's actually living 
in the heat of modernism in the 19th century where people are becoming more atheistic and there's, there's uh, a, he's living post-enlightenment, if you know that period, um, and that, that whole phase of um, human progress where God kind of exits the picture Kuiper wants to say, actually, in Calvinism specifically, there's the resources for us to be able to come back and reclaim uh, this, the whole world for Christ. It's not just about going and saving individuals, although obviously this matters, salvation matters, but the whole world matters to God. The whole world is God's world. And he's very famous for this quote, which was uh, he gave as part of a speech at the founding of a university, which he started in Amsterdam, still there. It's called the VU or Freie Universiteit in Amsterdam. And he said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence. Note the whole domain. That's all work, all life. Over which Christ, who is sovereign, who is king over all, does not cry, mine. He's saying Jesus Christ lays claim to every person and lays claim to every, every uh, activity and every work, that every work can be redeemed to the glory of God. And actually that is the, an onus on us when we start thinking about how work should work out. Um, I've got a quote here from, uh, it's a great little book if people are interested in this, uh, by a guy called Vincent Baycote. Uh, the Political Disciple, A Theology of Public Life. It's only, it's only a thin little thing, but it's a great read, especially if you're thinking of going into work in, in politics or in uh, public life in some way. But he quotes from Cal- uh, Kuiper's Lectures on Calvinism, and Kuiper says this about Calvinism. He says, Calvinism, that's Reformed Christianity, Protestantism, has not only honoured man for the sake of his likeness to the divine image, but also has honoured the world as a divine creation and has at once placed to the front the great principle that there is a particular grace which works in salvation, but there's also a common grace by which God, maintaining the life of the world, relaxes the curse which rests upon it, arrests the power of corruption. Corruption means rotting, so he stops the world rotting away. And thus he allows the untrammeled development of human life in which to glorify himself as creator. So you see, it's still to the glory of God alone. Thus the church receded, and he's talking about between the time of the Reformation and the time he's speaking in the late 19th century. He says, the church receded. The church stopped being this all-powerful thing that ruled the whole of society, that stepped over into the area of law, stepped over into the area of commerce. He's saying, no, the church has had to back off as the truth that Christ is over every sphere of life has been reclaimed. He says, the church receded in order to be neither more nor less than the congregation of believers. So it's a place for worship. That's what the church is. And in every department, the life of the world was not emancipated from God. So it's not that all these areas like academia, politics, whatever, it's not that they've been set free from God, but they've been set free from the dominion of the church. So he's saying it's not right for the church to rule a university or the church to rule uh, a commercial market. Thus, domestic life regained its independence, trade and commerce realized their strength in liberty, art and science were set free from every ecclesiastical bond and restored to their own inspirations, and man began to understand the subjection of all nature with its hidden forces and treasures to himself as a holy duty. Hear that? Mankind, after the Reformation, 
begins to understand, ah, there's a holy duty on me, not just to retreat into the church, but to be in the world and to be in every single sphere of the world, bringing life, bringing the life of Christ, who is Lord over all. Uh, There's a holy duty which is imposed on him in the original ordinance of paradise, which God says, have dominion over them. So God's saying to mankind, have dominion over the whole of life. Henceforth, the curse should no longer rest upon the world itself, but upon that which is sinful in it. And instead of monastic flight, like <laughs> monastic means like a monk, like, so like you, shouldn't, you shouldn't leave society and, and just go and be in a cloistered, secluded area somewhere, where, where, which is just for Christians. You should be in the thick of it. Instead of monastic flight from the world, the duty is now emphasized of serving God in the world, in every position in life. To praise God in the church and serve him in the world became the inspiring impulse, and in the church, strength was to be gathered by which to resist temptation and sin in the world. The life of the world is to be honored in its independence. We must, in every domain, discover the treasures and develop the potencies, the powers, hidden by God in nature and in human life. I hope you hear what a positive view of every area of life that is. He's there saying, look, God's hidden treasures in, in different areas of life, in healthcare, in, in politics, in, in whatever it is that you're starting to feel a stirring that you're going into. He's saying it's not that you're going into it alone uh, just with the life jacket that you got on Sunday, you know, so that you can just learn to stand in the workplace. He's saying, no, God's there already. God's gone ahead of you into the calling that he's calling you into. And he's, he's actually wanting to, you to, to achieve you know, progress, all of those kind of things, but he's, he's put treasure in there. And that, that doesn't even just end at the saving of souls. He's saying that there's a particular grace that talks about saving of souls, but there's lots of other things that God is doing in the development of mankind that he wants you to be at the forefront of as you go into these areas. Um, I don't have a whole lot of time to expand on that further, but I hope that whets your appetite, some of you. for a trajectory that's been taken since the Reformation. And the the whole point of Reformation is that it continues on. Even in our day, there's Reformation going on. The faith is being reshaped and re-articulated for the here and now around the central truths that were rediscovered those 500 years ago. In Psalm 24, verse 1, to root this in Scripture as we close, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof the world and those who dwell therein. That's just to underscore. When, when, when Kuiper is saying something like, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, doesn't cry mine, he's not just dreaming it, is he? He's, he's re- just reading it out of the text here. And then he's saying, he's following the implications through, theologically and practically. I mean, about this man Kuiper, he didn't just... He didn't just say this and found a university. He, he led a church denomination in his country... He was a journalist. He ran two national newspapers. He, uh, he, founded, he did found the university. Um, he, and ultimately, he was prime minister. He founded the first, political, the first modern political party in the Netherlands. And he did all of this explicitly to the glory of God. It's, re- it's really great to read up on him. A lot of the stuff is only just now coming from Dutch into English. But you're talking about a modern Western head of state who was a thoroughgoing theologian, 
very much a reformed uh, man in the sense of the Christian Reformation. He lived with the reality of the Reformation. And what we said on the first day about how the Reformation was about reclaiming the goodness of the gospel, he thoroughly believed it. He said, this is good news for the whole world, and I want my country to benefit from this. So, as I say, book, little books like this, and there's, um, there's another one by Richard Mao called Abraham Kuyper, A Short and Personal Introduction. That's a very good book, uh, and, very, and short, as it says in the title, very worth the read. And inspirational for all of you who are thinking, man, I, I don't know if I necessarily feel called to church work particularly, but I want, to, I want God's glory to be shown in whatever I end up doing. This gives you tools for thinking about that biblically. They're out there. There's a lot of people who've written on this in the last few years, and it's very exciting. Um, another scripture, which is the one mentioned in that Kuiper quote, God blessed them. God blessed the man and woman, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the whole earth and subdue it. Subdue it is interesting, isn't it? What do we tend to mean when we say subdue? If you say someone's looking subdued, yeah, that, that you're, that you're on it. But if, if someone themselves has a subdued face, it's they're sad. It's actually that if someone looks subdued. So this quote, it's an unfortunate translation in some ways. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and make it sad. That's not actually what's being said. It's, like, it's actually bring it into order. It's closer to what you're saying when you say control, that actually God is saying, go and reflect me in this, that you actually show, you show authority and you show uh, a desire to see things come to fruition. You don't just stand there looking at the seed. You want the seed to be watered and to grow. And um, that's true in every area of human life. And by the grace of God, uh, we c- our work can cause these things to come to fruition. So we can cause fruitfulness in every sphere of society. I think that that's what I want to say for today. I think that that's, that's a good place for us to end thinking about Reformation and thinking about Reformation continuing on. It's this dynamic thing. It was a clearing of the decks and a getting rid of uh, additional doctrine that had been layered on top of the true and joyous gospel. But it's also something that continues on. We bring Reformation, we bring the Reformation of the gospel into every sector of life that we find ourselves involved in. And I'd just like us all to stand up, and I, I want to pray for us and to pray us out, really, just a sense of commission from God. Lord Jesus, we recognize that there's not one square inch of the whole of your creation over which you don't lay a claim. You say, that is mine. That belongs to me. And I pray for everyone here who might have been challenged today to rethink the the areas of their own personal life, for sure, but also the areas of society that uh, they might be able to go into, the ways that they might be able to, to minister to people, to provide for people, and to bring glory to your name. Lord, I pray give people great and wild ideas as they go out of this place. I pray stir people up with new faith and a new thirst to learn, a new thirst to um, put things into action. I pray that you would bring much glory to your name out of this group who's been here this week. And I want to pray your blessing on them, Lord. I pray you make your face shine on them. Give them a great rest of their time here. In Jesus' name, I pray that you would speak and that you would minister power to them by your Holy Spirit and for the glory of God the Father. Everyone says amen. 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 All right. Thanks very much.